Now, it is Thanksgiving and Gift Sunday, so we're here to talk about money, uh, as well as about our times, our skills, our serving. And what I've strangely decided to do is to bring us to a very specific Bible passage, that 1 Corinthians chapter 12, but to talk about a, a huge general issue. 1 Corinthians 12, it is about spiritual gifts. In particular, it's about the gifts that we would most easily call supernatural gifts. And in particular, in particular, it is about tongues and prophecy. If you look at verse 1, it says, Now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters. And actually, two chapters later, he's still going. Verse 1, eagerly desire prophecy for anyone who speaks in a tongue does not. And then there's a whole chapter comparing tongues and prophecy. So it's a, a very specific Bible passage about a very specific issue written to a very specific church with very specific problems that I think we will see has a lot to teach us tonight about money and about time and about skills and about serving. In Corinth, you may know, they thought that they were the best church in the world. Uh, They were large, they were successful, they were in the centre of a major city, sounding a bit familiar, but what really made them feel good was their reputation as the spiritually powerful church, Uh, the place where the really gifted, really spiritual people were. And to them, it mattered hugely which spiritual gift you had, and what gift you had, well, that determined your value. The people with the best gift they were the best Christians. And what Paul does in our chapter, he gives them a a huge principle that turns their thinking upside down. And the principle that he uses to help them, that will help us think about our money, our time, our skills, and our serving. And I wonder, can it matter too much here, adult souls, how much money we have? or um, what we are good at, or what job we have, or what type of serving we do. Perhaps those things, they determine our value. Uh, Is it that the people with the best jobs are the best Christians? Perhaps those are the people we really need, particularly when we've got money to raise for a church building project. Okay, so I've got two main points for us tonight. First one, verses 1 to 11. Gifts, they are to all for others. Gifts are to all for others. Please look down at verse 7 of chapter 12. That's the summary verse for chapter 12. Now, to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Okay, it's just 15 words, but it turns the world on its head for the Corinthians. Now, to each one, The manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. So how many Christians have spiritual gifts? Answer, all of them. Verse 7, to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given. And Paul makes the same point in verses 4 to 6. The the gifts vary, the service can be different, but they all come from the same Spirit, the same Lord, the same God. And look at verse 6. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. 
Uh, verse 7, each one of us has been given a manifestation of the Spirit. And verses 8 to 10 is a list that illustrates the variety. So we have wisdom, we've got message of knowledge, we've got faith, we've got healing, miraculous powers, prophecy, uh, distinguishing and tongues. But then verse 11, all these are the work of one and the same Spirit and he distributes them to each one just as he determines. One Spirit, many gifts to all. And that fits verse 3, doesn't it? Anyone who is committed to Jesus as Lord has the Spirit. And it fits verse 12 to 14. Anyone who is part of Christ has been baptized by the Spirit, and we were all given the one Spirit to drink. Now, there are some um, huge issues there about how you receive the Holy Spirit and what it means to be baptized by the Spirit. I would be really happy to pick those up with anybody afterwards. And actually, someday um, soon, we'll pick up our series in 1 Corinthians again, and we'll work our way through the whole letter before we come and do chapters 12 to 14 as a whole. But just for tonight, can you see the impact for super spiritual Corinth? One spirit, many gifts to all. And verse 11, he distributes them to each one just as he determines. So on spiritual gifts, the the gift we have, it may or may not be the gift we would have chosen or asked for. might be very different from the gift of the person next to you, but it is from God just the same. And those are not the best Christians with the best gift. We are all Christians of the same value because we have all been given gifts by the same Spirit. And the, the word gift, that is really quite important. I think sometimes we use that word like it was a brand name. Um, just like at work, you, need, you open the stationery drawer and you have the biros of the stationery drawer. Um, so we think we, as Christians, we have the gifts of the Spirit. It's just a brand name, the gifts. But these are gifts. Sorry to labor this. Sorry to say something um, obvious. These are gifts, which means that they were given to us. It's really quite important. We are simply empty hands which have been filled by a generous God, which means that the Corinthians, they're totally wrong to look around the room and look at the differences and say, well done me. If it's a gift, we say, well done God, and we say, thank you, God, Thanksgiving and gift day. Their attitude to gifts, it's crazy. It's like um, the first day back in the playground at primary school on the first day back after Christmas. So um, Artem, um, he has got an Obi-Wan Kenobi action figure. And Jamie, he's done better. He's got a Stormtrooper speeder. But Tarquin, uh, Tarquin has got a four-foot Death Star and an entire Imperial fleet to go inside it. So he is the coolest, isn't he? and the best kid at school. Now, I may just be miserable because um, in our house, my mum, she got her idea about whether or not you should spoil children. She got it from World War II rationing. Um, so um, I was never the coolest kid at school. But that it's poor logic, isn't it? If those things are gifts. You know, maybe, maybe we could say that Tarquin's parents are cooler and better than Jamie's. Um, certainly they've got more money, haven't they, or more willingness to spend it. But we can't say anything about Tarquin at all. He's been given it. It's nothing to do with him. And so tonight we're talking about money 
and skills and time, more than we're talking about the supernatural manifestations of the Spirit. But the rest of the New Testament confirms that we are on solid ground when we say the same is true about them. So whatever we have, it has been given to us by God. Um, In fact, when it comes to money, it might be better to think of it as some kind of generous loan. Um, The money we have, it has been entrusted to us, placed into our care as stewards. And some of us have less and some of us have more, but whatever we have is a gift from him. And the same is true over the the course of a lifetime. In the book of Job, um, we meet a very, very rich couple who become a very, very poor couple overnight. And Job says this, he says, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. And I think moving away from money, that's also true about the way that we're different in our ability to make money. Um, There's actually a different list of gifts in uh, the book of Romans. We looked at it a few weeks ago in Springboard, if you were there. And one of them is the gift of giving. And the person with that spiritual gift is told to give generously. Now, I can't be sure of this, but um, in my view, none of the list of gifts are complete and exhaustive. So um, as well as a gift of giving, a gift of generosity, there may be a sort of gift and a skill of making money. Um, Certainly, we're all different in that area. So some people have money because of privilege and circumstance. Some people just sort of land in the right place at the right time. Um, Some people have skills that our society needs and decides to value very highly and pay a lot for, while other people have skills that our society needs but our society decides not to value and not to pay very well. And some people just seem to have a real talent for making money for starting businesses or for selling or for turning a profit. Well, all of that, given by God who made us and gives us everything that we have and everything that we are. My money is not mine. It was given to me by God. Whether it's there by the sweat of my brow or by the chance of a big break or because my family decided to give it to me. It's not mine. It's given by God as he determined Um, And none of that is well done me. Tells you nothing about my value compared to yours. In the city, people talk about how much someone is worth, meaning how much money there is in their investments. When our real worth and our real value comes from how God sees us, comes from him. So gifts to all and for others. Look down at verse 7 again. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good, for the common good. And that was a total shock to the Corinthians. It's clear by chapter 14 that what's really going on here is an argument about who is better, the person with the gift of tongues or the person with the gift of prophecy. And Paul's answer is stunning. He says, just use the gifts based on their ability to help other people. The gifts, they exist for the common good. They're not for you. They are for others. And as a teenager, that is not at all why I wanted particular spiritual gifts. 
gifts. So the, um, the godly version of my prayers, that was, please can I have the gifts that would be good for me spiritually? So the gifts I thought would make me closer to God or would give me excitement and joy in God and help me trust him. Those are good things to want, aren't they? Um, though in reality, I think um, my desires were not quite that um, straightforward. I think I wanted the gifts that would make me better than other people, um, just like the Corinthians. But I didn't understand at all that the gifts are not for me. They are for other people. That's the radical truth at the heart of all of chapters 8 to 14. Um, We go to church. We exist as Christians. We go to church for the benefit of other people, not ourselves. And I, I regularly, regularly meet Christians who've made themselves miserable and made other people miserable because they don't understand that. Um, See, if my gift is for me to do me good, then I have to use it. Um, I have to use it. And my sense of value of whether I'm a good Christian, whether I'm important or not to God, whether God likes me or not, it will all be tied into how often I use my gift and how much people thank me or notice. I think you can see the difference this would make in our Christian lives in every single area. And tonight we're just thinking about money. So my money is not mine. It has been given to me for other people. And actually, we can see with money, it makes you miserable, doesn't it? If you think your money's for you, you think your value comes in how much money you've got, you're reduced to just sitting in your cave counting your gold on your own. Now, These truths, they don't answer all of the practical questions. It doesn't answer the question about how much to give away on any given occasion or how much to give to church or how much to give to tonight's building appeal. Um, That's why we have Christian judgment, Christian wisdom, and Christian friends. And we're not supposed to be um, English and never talk to anyone about money. Uh, We're supposed to help each other in this area as in every other. But here is something very practical you could do tonight when you get home. Go home and get your money where you can see it. Um, So the the student loan email, the the bank balance app on your phone, the payslip at your works online accounting portal, the latest statement from your pension fund or your mortgage company or investment account, get them somewhere where you can see them. And in the old days, it was straightforward because they were all on bits of paper and you could take a big fat marker pen and you could write property of God over it and you could write four other people all over it. I think your bank might think it was odd if we all went home and changed our password, you know, given to all for the sake of others or something and would reduce the security, wouldn't it? But um, go home, look your bank balance in the eye and tell it that it belongs to God. None of it is mine. It makes no difference how it got there. The skills, the effort, the sacrifice, it's God's gift given to you for the sake of others. And when it comes to tongues or prophecy, which is the thing they were um, totally torn apart about, Paul sets up a priority in chapter 14. He says, use the gift that edifies the church, that builds up, brothers and sisters in their faith. He even sets a ratio, quite helpful. Again, I'm talking numbers, accountants will like this. A ratio, it's five words that don't instruct others to 10,000 words that do. In other words, it's not about what I want to do. 
It's not about what makes me feel good or makes me feel special. It's about what will help other people, the people who God gave me gifts for. Now, if um, all of that just sounds a bit communist and a bit um, too interconnected for you, I'm sorry it gets worse. Because he drives all this home with an extended illustration about how a Christian church is a body. So point one, gifts to all for others. Point two, so the body needs all of its parts. And that's the, the rest of the chapter. Um, see, they thought that some people at church were the powerful, the spiritual people, and the other people weren't. And it's a very short step from there to thinking that there are some people we need, and the other people are just taking up space. And I think if we, all souls, are set in the middle of one of the most materialist um, cities in the world, among all of the, the temples to shopping, just down the road, in a culture that values earning potential and at this time of the year that values exam results above all things, we could easily give the impression that some people are needed and other people are not. And that is not at all, this is the illustration, that is not at all how we run our own bodies. Verse 14, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. And it would be horrific if our body behaved the way that sometimes churches do. And Paul um, runs the illustration in both directions so that we really get the point. So up on screen now um, is how it breaks down, verses 14 to 20. Can anyone say, I don't belong? And then verses 21 to 26. Can anyone say, I don't need you? So he starts, it's like the two different groups in the church. He starts with the people who feel that nobody needs them. Uh, Verse 15, now if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body. Or verse 16, if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body. That would be nonsense. Verse 15, verse 16, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. Um, In other words, membership of the body, that is a decision made by God. It's his call. Makes you part of the body of his son, and you're gifting... That was chosen for you by the Spirit, just as he determines. So even if, um, I don't know, hands and eyes, they look more special, and whatever they look like, the feet and the ears, they still belong. And verse 17, if the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? Wouldn't be great just to be one big fat eyeball. Um, wouldn't be very useful. They make horror films, don't they, about people who turn into giant glistening eyeballs that kind of squelch their way down the corridors, terrifying people. That's not a human being. That's a horror film. So why, why do we turn, uh, try and turn our churches into single function, single value corporations? Why don't we trust God to have got it right? Verse 18, with all the parts placed just as he wanted them to be. Can you feel Paul's pastoral heart? You see how terrible it would have been to be at Corinth and feel like you were one of the less powerful, less spiritual people as they jumped up and down about how powerful they were and how good the miracles were. Um, Can you imagine someone there saying, I just, I wish I spoke in tongues. 
Or someone saying, because I don't speak in tongues, I do not belong to the body. Terrible to be in Corinth and feel anything less than spiritually powerful and spiritually excellent. And I think we also, we may have that problem. And perhaps we do it with a, a different slice of gifting. And perhaps we even do it with money or with career or with skills. And if we have created a body where some members feel that they don't belong, well, then we're doing it wrong. And he, um, he turns it around the other way as well. Verse 21, the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. Or the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. Again, you can feel it would make sense at one level. Um, feet smell, don't they? No one likes to look at them. Um, my feet have been submerged in salt water for a week, so you really don't want to be near them. Um, and heads, they just look so useful, don't they? You're looking at me with your heads. Um, they look so important. Verse 22. On the contrary, verse 22 over the page. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker... They are indispensable. So the Christians at Corinth, who look around the room and feel very important and very significant, think, really, I'm not sure I need all these other people. And Paul, I think, would say something like, well, try walking home tonight without your feet, if you think that's how it works. Verse 24, God put the body together, and God gives greater honor to the parts that lacked it. So, verse 25, so there should be no division in the body, but its parts should have equal concern for each other. And bodies, they they don't compete internally, not if they're working well. Verse 26, if one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If your friend is inclined not to believe this, um, well, stamp on their toe um, and see if their head likes it. It's the point. We're we're a united body. If one part is honoured, every part rejoices with it. So we come to church for the sake of other people. Think of yourself as a needed part of the whole. Different from the others, but deliberately different. Deliberately placed by God and essential and valuable. I'm actually going to preach this um, sermon at a service that none of you really, I hope, will be at, um, because we're going to celebrate all the online services we've had um, that we've been putting out during COVID. We're going to do that because we're going to draw a line under them. Um, We're going to say that was a wonderful gift of God that has helped sustain Christians when it was impossible to go to church. We're going to do one final one of those and encourage people it's now time to find a church local to them where they can go and go every week, whether it's convenient or not, whether you feel like it or not. You can see how this chapter would help. We go for the sake of other people. Um, Rob said, didn't he, just that sense of, isn't it amazing? Praise God that we're allowed to be here together. Praise God we're allowed to be here. And we'll, um, we'll do something so that those from All Souls who um, physically cannot get in because of ill health or whatever other reason, they'll be able to watch and see what we're doing. But we're going to stop sort of providing an alternative church all over the world. That's because we need each other. Um, the eye and the foot need each other every week. So when we come to church, when you walk into church, um, come here thinking, that is my body in there. 
Here's a kind of, when they see the scaffolding, here's something to think about. I'm a foot or an ear to them with my place and my necessity. I'm not competing. I'm not wishing I was more like someone else. I'm not coming to use my gift because it will help me. I'm coming to use my gift to help other people. Be good to pray, wouldn't it? And when you see the scaffolding, pray. Please, Lord, bring me to somebody I can serve and help tonight at 5.30. And as we come, we want the service, we want the building, we want everything about All Souls to be good for other people, not good for me. Um, Not about my favourite music, but about the music that will most help other people. Not about my favourite type of sermon or length of sermon, but about the sermon that will most help other people. Um, Which brings us finally to this appeal for money for a building. Um, If my money is really God's, not mine, and it's been given to me for the sake of other people, well, then that's how I should think about it. If I've got almost none, um, or if I've got so much student loan that I've actually got less money than none, um, that does not make me less important. does not make me less part of the body than someone who can write big checks for this building. Um, I do think if you have any money coming in at all, it is spiritually healthy to give some, maybe even just a very small amount, just to teach your wallet and your future bank balance that all of this is God's really. Um, And actually, you can listen to this morning's sermon when that goes up online, um, hear how God feels about someone who could only give two very small copper coins. But then some of us will have lots of money, um, and if it really is God's, given to you for the sake of other people, well, that doesn't make you more valuable. doesn't make you more valuable, but the one with the gift of giving is called to give generously in Romans 12. So more money will give you more to think about as you decide what to give. We're asking um, for building money. Um, And that is not because we want a lovely roof on the building. It's because we want something, we want to build something entirely more important than that. We want to build Christians. We want this to continue to be a place where brothers and sisters can be built up and instructed. The point is roofs are helpful when it comes to finding a place where we can build and instruct each other. And that then is where Christian judgment and Christian wisdom and Christian friends come in. Um, I cannot tell you how much you should give. Um, I can't tell you how much to give to this thing as opposed to anything else. But I can tell you that everything we have, it comes from God. We have it in trust for the sake of other people to do them good. And this building, it's just the home of the body. It belongs to all of us for the good of all. So we can be thankful tonight for those decades ago who gave all the money the last time we did this. And we can be prayerful now uh, with this money that the Lord has given us, that we would be wise, we'd be sensible, we'd be godly as we use it in his service. So that's what I'm going to pray now. Dear Father, we thank you that you build Christians into a body, that you give each one of us our place, each one of us our value, that who we are, what we have, what we're able to do, that is all determined by you. It's all of grace, all given by you to us. 
And we ask our Father we would see our lives, our resources, our time, our energy, the way that you see it. See that you have given them to us so we could give them back to you and use them for the good of other people. And we ask you to give us wisdom and guidance and help as we make decisions in all these areas. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.